Well, our Old Testament reading this morning is from Isaiah chapter 49. It outlines and prophesies a time of restoration and uh, blessing for Israel and for the world that will come in Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Lord's servant. And Ruth Ann will uh, read these verses for us now. Isaiah 49, 8-12. This is what the Lord says. In the time of my favor, I will answer you, and in the day of salvation, I will help you. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people, to restore the land and to reassign its desolate inheritances, to say to the captives, come out, to those in darkness, be free. They will feed beside the roads and will find pasture on every barren hill. They will neither hunger nor thirst, nor will the desert heat or the sun beat down on them. He who has compassion on them will guide them and lead them beside springs of water. I will turn all my mountains into roads, and my highways will be raised up. See, they will come from afar, some from the north, some from the west, some from the regions of Aswan. This is the word of the Lord. One of the greatest lost and found stories uh, really in history, I think, is a story that took place in Antarctica in around the year 1914. A group of 27 men left the South Sandwich Islands about 2,000 kilometers south of, south, uh, east of South America, and they took a ship called the Endurance down through the icy waters of the Antarctic, hoping to make an exploration across uh, that icy land. And their ship, the Endurance, got stuck in the ice of the Weddell Sea. And the ship was stuck there with 27 men and 69 husky dogs and one cat for almost a year until the ice crushed up against the sides of the ship and slowly uh, destroyed it, and the ship sank 10,000 feet to the bottom of the ocean in the Antarctic. Those 27 men got off the ship before it sank. They fought all kinds of wind that was so strong sometimes, all they could do was crawl on the ice, and they towed uh, 10,000 pounds of food with them over months and months, fighting our Antarctic ice flows and water and cracks uh, and elements that were unbelievable for them to uh, work through. And they made them, got all the way to an island called Elephant Island at the very tip of Antarctica. And the 27 men stayed there and realized that they weren't going to be found by anyone. And so three of them left and took a small uh, boat from the ship that had sunk all the way to 
uh, back to the Sandwich Islands where they had started, and they took them 800 miles to get back to the place, those four men, where they started in a little tiny boat. The wind was so strong and cold in the, Ar- in the Antarctic Ocean that it was ripping the tops off the waves. They eventually made it back to the place they started, only to leave the 22 men back on Elephant Island. And so they took three attempts. Ernest Shackleton and some of his best uh, mates took three attempts to get back to Elephant Island to rescue these 22 men who were stranded there. And they'd been stranded there for 128 days. And they wrote diaries, uh, many of them, about what they were experiencing in that time of feeling so lost. And you can read their diaries even today. And some of them said as the months went on that they felt they were, had, should give up all hope of ever being found that those who had went out to save them had been lost themselves at sea. And almost two years after the whole exhibi- ex- expedition started, they saw off on the distance a ship that was loaned to Shackleton by one of the governments of South America coming on the horizon 128 days staying on Elfin Island, and they knew in that moment that they were going to be found. Well, we have 10 Sundays together this winter to explore the theme uh, in Luke of this new sermon series that I'll be offering to, to us as we journey together. And the title for that sermon series is called Jesus, Savior to Lost People Everywhere. Maybe you found yourself out on the icy waters of the Antarctic, or maybe we're lost in some way, but we'll find in the Gospel of Luke that Jesus is presented as a Savior, the Savior, to lost people ever. And we'll walk with Jesus over the three main sections of the Gospel of Luke, the beginning section, which happens in Galilee, the middle section on the way to Jerusalem, and the last section of the Gospel of Luke in and around Jerusalem. And we'll pick up a few key stories and verses as we walk through uh, these chapters together Uh, all the way to the cross and the resurrection. But this is one of the key themes in the whole book of Luke. We don't have time to introduce the whole book of Luke, but one of the key themes in the book of Luke from the beginning until the end is that there is no kind of person that the gospel of Jesus Christ cannot reach. It's It's a gospel, it's a book in the Bible that focuses on humanity and its need for a Savior. The angels announce to the whole world that a Savior has come. And we see in these stories throughout Luke, Jesus going to the urban and to the rural, to the settled, to the unsettled, to the civic places and to the places by the sea of the fishermen. The author Luke was probably even a a Gentile himself, an outsider. And we see a gospel that is for the whole world and especially to those society despises. In fact, we see a key verse in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, a story which we'll pick up in a few weeks that Jesus says, I came to seek and to save the lost. Well, we'll start this morning with Luke chapter 4, early on in the ministry of Jesus, a story in a setting we see Jesus in his hometown at the synagogue where he introduces his ministry. So if you have your Bibles, you're welcome to turn with me to 
Luke chapter 4, starting at verse 16. We'll go all the way to verse 30 as we consider these words together. Jesus went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, and as was his custom, he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it's written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he, Jesus, rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down, and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me, uh, Do here in your hometown what we have heard you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, No prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to the widow of Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we commit this time to you and ask that by your Spirit you might indeed open and apply your word to our hearts and our lives according to your will for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we'll look at these uh, verses under three headings. The ministry of Jesus mapped out, the ministry of Jesus realized, and the ministry of Jesus misunderstood. The setting for this uh, passage and for this story, this synagogue story, is we see in verse 16, uh, Jesus is in Nazareth, he's uh, and is in his hometown. He's come back to Nazareth, in fact. You can see Nazareth on the map behind me, uh, way up in the north, kind of a secluded region, far away to the left-hand side there of the Sea of Galilee, kind of out in the middle of nowhere. It's an obscure, tiny little town built up in the mountainsides in the cleft of the rock, which is why at the end of this story they can kind of push Jesus or try to off a cliff. But Jesus is just returning now to Nazareth. Uh, it says he's been brought up there. It's his hometown. It's, sent, it's where he's from. He's known there. But he's coming back from Nazareth from a time out in the desert. If you remember the beginning of Luke chapter 4, Jesus, the one who's known by uh, his hometown, by his people, uh, he can walk into the synagogue and his, uh, his, his, his elementary school teachers are there. His high school teachers are there. <laughs> his hockey coach is there. They know this guy, Jesus. <laughs> it's his custom to go to the synagogue. He's been brought up in Nazareth, way up there in the north. But, but the, the people in Nazareth also know that Jesus has been out in the desert and has been doing some strange things. They say he was out in the desert praying for 40 days. 
that he encountered some temptations, that he, he responded with the Word of God. And, and now in the verses just before verse 16, Jesus has been going all the way around Galilee preaching, talking about the good news of Jesus Christ. And here in verse 16, he's coming back to Nazareth, going on the Sabbath into the synagogue. Synagogues came into existence just by way of background into Israel after the Babylonian exile and after the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. And they were local places of worship and reading uh, from the, the Old Testament passages that are, that are now and explanation of those passages. And if you had 10 men in a small town, you'd have one leader and one assistant. You could set up your own synagogue. So it's in this setting that Jesus begins and maps out his own ministry. The ministry of Jesus, point number one, mapped out. Jesus stands up to read. He has been preaching around Galilee, so they ask him now in the loose, informal setting of the synagogue to read a passage and to comment on it and to speak about it. So Jesus stands up and he reads from the prophet Isaiah. It's from uh, chapter 61 and parts of chapter 58 of Isaiah. But he stands up and he reads, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, the recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus says, I'm anointed. The Lord has anointed me to do these things. And so we see here the ministry of Jesus mapped out in the following terms. Jesus will be the one. His ministry will be about proclaiming good news, proclaiming freedom, proclaiming release to the poor, to the blind, to the prisoner, that's out of order, to the oppressed, to the, to the poor, the prisoner, the blind, and to the oppressed, proclaiming good news, release, and freedom. Now, you might say to me as we're looking at these verses together, Pastor Greg, what's Jesus talking about here? Is he talking about the poor, as I might imagine the poor, or is this a metaphor? This is an image for the poor. This whole verse, an image for the oppressed, or is he, is he talking about the oppressed? Is it a, an idea or a concept, blind, or, or is he talking about those who are blind? I think as we look through the Gospel of Luke and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the, the whole outline of the ministry of Jesus, I think we need to be able to say that Jesus is speaking in a way about both, <laughs> both the social categories or the socioeconomic categories, and the spiritual category of the poor, blind, oppressed. And it's the last one, prisoner. Indeed, if we look at the uh, Gospels, Jesus is very interested in the poor. In Luke chapter eight, 18 and 21, he reaches out and interacts with widows. In Luke chapter 12, what does he say to the rich? Sell your possessions and give the money to the Oh, he says that. Jesus says that. Is it a metaphor here, an image, concept? I don't know. What about the prisoners? With whom is Jesus crucified? Criminals on each side in Luke. What about the blind? In Luke chapter 18, verse 25, a blind man cries out to him near Jericho. And that's part of Jesus' ministry. What about the oppressed? In Luke chapter 14, the parable of the great banquet. 
People gathered in from all places of society under all kinds of ailments and conditions. So I think as we read the Gospels, we cannot see this mapping out of Christ's ministry as simply an image or a metaphor for the poor and the oppressed. Jesus is truly in the Gospel is concerned with the state of the world and the state of people in their everyday lives. But as we read the Gospels, we see also in Matthew 5 that blessed are the poor in spirit. That he's talking about a spiritual reality here. Those who are prisoners to Satan. Those who are under the power of the devil. We see in Luke chapter 8, Jesus goes out to the region of the Gadarenes and uh, there's a prisoner there to the, to, to, the, to, the, to the demons of Satan and Jesus frees him. Jesus speaks very clearly about spiritual blindness and pride and how it makes us unable to know the grace of God. In Acts chapter 8, we hear, but all those who are oppressed are under the power of the devil. Is it a social category or a spiritual one? It's both on one hand, but it's also more. All of this language in Luke chapter 4, these verses mapping out his own ministry, is language and verses that are laden with the idea of jubilee and Sabbath. In fact, that word release, that word freedom, is an Old Testament word and concept that if we had time, we would dig into Leviticus chapter 25, where at the beginning of that chapter, we see uh, a year of Sabbaths. Every seven years, there being a release and a freedom for the land. And in Leviticus 25, starting at verse 8 and onwards, there's a jubilee of jubilees, how every, every, every 49 years, there's a, there's a major return to the way things should be for people who are under slavery, for land that's been sold for debt. And there's a deliverance pointed to in Leviticus 25, and we see it also picked up in Isaiah 49 that Jesus is speaking about in his ministry and is summarized in verse 19, that Jesus has come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. A time when things will be returned to the way they ought to be, when the power of sin and the place that sin has led humanity to in the whole history of salvation shall be turned around and put upside down, a time of a new start, an era of new blessing that only Jesus brings. An era we see marked in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the time of salvation. Indeed, what we learn in the ministry of Jesus as we follow him through Luke, seeing this mapping out of his whole ministry is that it's entirely possible to go through your life being economically, socially poor or oppressed or a prisoner. But it's equally possible to go through your own life being spiritually bankrupt, being spiritually poor, being spiritually lost. And what we understand from the New Testament witness is that the ultimate poverty for humanity is 
separation from God. The ultimate poverty is not having a relationship with God, not knowing the forgiveness of God, not knowing the taste of God's jubilee in Jesus Christ, not experiencing in this life God's favor, God saying, well done, good and faithful service, not knowing that for your own life and situation. Indeed, in the next chapter, Jesus said, I have come not to save the righteous, but sinners. Well, we see the ministry of Jesus mapped out, and then we see in the next verse the ministry of Jesus realized. Jesus says in verse 21, well, uh, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. (laughs) That's his one-point sermon. (laughs) Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus is saying uh, that that jubilee that God has prophesied, that wellness, that that, 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 that return of humanity to uh, the, the place and the way of union with God that God uh, desires, sin removed and banished, the effects of sin gone, all of that jubilee is fulfilled, Jesus says, in me. Today, that scripture is fulfilled. Before Abraham was, I am. Remember, at the end of Luke, he'll say to the people walking on the road to Emmaus, I'll explain to you now all the things uh, that the Moses and the prophets have all pointed to me. We're living in this time of fulfillment. I am bringing the jubilee of the Lord our God, healing, forgiveness of sin, power to overcome difficulty, addictions in, in, in our life, removal of sin and death and the power of Satan. Jesus says, it's now. It's available. It's here. I am the one. It's fulfilled. Will you turn to me? And we see the crowds in the rest of the uh, passage here interact with Jesus on what's he, what he said about his ministry. We see the crowds interact with uh, what he's preaching about, what he's teaching about himself. And we see the last part about the ministry of Jesus being misunderstood. They speak well of him, it says. They hear these words. They're really wonderful words. They kind of just go into their heads, and as the passage goes on, they say, oh, those are really wonderful words. We all want that. We all want this wonderful jubilee. We're desirous of this. And they're all speaking well of Jesus. They're amazed at the gracious words that have come from his lips. All this will be fulfilled. How wonderful is that? And then it sinks a little bit deeper down, and they start looking around at Jesus, and they get a little bit skeptical of what he said, don't they? They say, isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't this Joseph's son? I mean, isn't this guy saying all this thing? Isn't that little, little, isn't that little Jesus that we knew running around Nazareth building things? Isn't that Joseph Jr. over there? Don't they kind of belittle Jesus as they hear these words about his wonderful ministry being available to each and every person, outsider and insider? Do they fall at his feet in wonder and praise before him, saying, thank you, Lord God, that your plan is unfolding in Jesus? Do they say, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go? 
Do they say, I'll deny myself, I'll throw the world away for you, Jesus, the one, the bringer of God's jubilee and shalom into my life. The power of sin and death and sickness is no more. Thanks be to God. Do they say, I want that, I need that? Do they say, I need that deliverance and freedom? Do they, do they say, Lord, my world needs this jubilee? Do we hear the people of Nazareth saying, my husband needs this jubilee. My wife needs this jubilee of Christ. My children need it, Lord. Do we hear the people of Nazareth saying, Lord, thank you. My grandparents are lost. They need your jubilee. Do we, do we hear them crying out in my life, Lord, I'm in need of you. I'm a captive to sin. I'm a captive to death. I'm a captive to the power of Satan. I don't live the way I want to live. I'm not treating people in my life the way I want to treat them, Lord, or the way you show me to treat them. I need the freedom and release, Lord, that you offer me. Do they say that? Hey, here's a question. Do you say that? Do we say that? Or do we meet Jesus with skepticism, with belittling, with kind of writing him off? Why? Because our lives are pretty good. <laughs> I got my life pretty much together, Lord. Thanks anyway, Jesus Jr. The whole thing goes okay while Jesus reads the Scripture. <laughs> but they get pretty upset when he starts to apply it to their lives. Skepticism goes on. Jesus sees it in verse 23. He quotes, he says, you're going to quote to me this famous proverb of a physician. Uh, I, I, you're looking for signs. I know what you're looking for. It says you're looking for signs and flashy stuff. Yeah, you're not really looking for me. And he says, look, your skepticism is also revealed to me in verse 24 when he talks about two periods in Israel's history, the period of Elijah and the period of Elisha. He's talking about their skepticism here. And he's comparing, if you can believe it, he's comparing the people in the synagogue and the crowd in that time to the era in Israel of Elijah and Elisha, probably the most unspiritual eras of, of Israel's history, almost two kind of apostate histories and times. And Elijah and Elisha are, are interesting examples that Jesus brings out here in this context of responding to their skepticism because uh, who, to whom does Elijah minister? God's people and the people who, who, who think they have it all right? No, he ministers. It's a really hard message. Jesus does, not, Jesus does not go easy on the crowd in this synagogue. He does not go easy on them at all. He says, look, look at your life. Are, are you in a time of Elijah? Who does Elijah reach out to? To whom does Elijah minister? He, Eli he, he ministers outside of the people of Israel to the widow in Zarephath. Uh, is Jesus... Is Jesus saying that, 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 that his ministry reaches even there? That his ministry is going to go that direction outside? Elijah, this, Elisha, the same thing. To whom does he minister? Well, outside of Israel, only to Naaman the Syrian. I mean, Elijah and Elisha would be blown away that their ministries were going to go in this direction. In fact, Jesus responds to their skepticism with a bit of a warning. And the warning is 
The warning is this. Uh, well, he tells them, look, my ministry is to the lost. My ministry is to the outsider. Uh, if, you, if, if you think you've arrived, if you think you're found on your own, then you're not. <laughs> the gospel of Jesus Christ will not reach us when we think we've arrived on our own. The gospel of Jesus Christ is for the poor. Economically, socially, spiritually, yes, it's for the poor, the blind, the oppressed, the needy. If we think we're on the inside, if we think we've got God figured out, if we, if we think we know which direction God will go, we may not be on the inside of God's promises. It's a ministry of Jesus to the lost. He is the Savior to lost people everywhere. <laughs> That's a hard message. Uh, I hope I'm not being too hard on you. I tell that to our, uh, the basketball team I coach. Sometimes, you know, the games go okay and I get a little bit direct. Um, and I say, I hope I'm not being too hard on you. Well, it's here. Jesus is giving a pretty direct message, isn't he? About insiders, outsiders, about the state of our hearts. Well, their skepticism goes from skepticism, skepticism to outright rejection, doesn't it? I am bringing the jubilee of the Lord our God, the, the freedom from, from sin and death and Satan, the transformation of the world through the power of my spirit and through my church. And the people in the synagogue realize they don't believe it. They, 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 think, they think they're there already, and they end up rejecting Jesus. All the people, it says in verse 28 of the synagogue, were furious when they heard Jesus compare them to that lost time in Israel. They thought they were found, and so they drive him out of the town, up to the brow of the hill. Nazareth is built into a mountain, and so it's easy just to find a cliff to, off which to push somebody, and they and they try to throw Jesus off the cliff, reject him from this town. They try to do that. But Jesus walks right through the crowd, it says. And you know, reading the Gospel of Luke, Jesus never comes back to Nazareth. That's a hard word, isn't it? He never comes back. They reject the word of Jesus. And he never comes back to their town. That's, that's a hard word, and that, that can happen to our lives, can't it? As we reject the word of Jesus, the ministry, we can get lost. Might never find a time before the final day to come face to face with Jesus once again. It can happen to congregations too. The word of God, the truth of God can leave a congregation as we stop preaching the truth. Now the people reject Jesus, and he goes right through the crowd. They try to kill him, but he goes on his way. And what is the way of Jesus? <laughs> well, it's the way from Galilee to Golgotha, right? It's the way from the far north to the one being forsaken. It's, it's the way from Capernaum and Nazareth all the way to the cross. Jesus will die. He'll die on his own time and in his own way. The way of Jesus is the way down to the cross where he gives his life. 
for you and for me and for the whole world once for all, that we may know forgiveness, that we might have that burden lifted from us, that we might know we're not alone, that we're not without help, but that he's the Savior to lost people everywhere, even us. Well, this passage shows us the ministry of Jesus mapped out. It's been a hard sermon, hasn't it? Here I am starting off this series on one of the hardest (laughs) passages for us to hear. The ministry of Jesus realized, and then finally the ministry of Jesus misunderstood. How can we apply this to our life? How can we apply this to today? Well, are you familiar with the ministry of Jesus? Uh, When you see someone who's poor or a prisoner or blind or oppressed or living in a tent on the side of the road or the city down by the YMCA, does your heart break? I mean, does your heart get sore when you pass the guy holding the sign at the traffic light even asking for money? I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just saying, does your heart get sore? Do you find the needs of this world in economic and social terms affect you? Or do they pass right over? If they don't affect you, you may not know the ministry of Jesus. Are you among the poor? Maybe you feel you're among the poor today or among the oppressed in some way or among someone in your life's in prison. If you're in prison, you're not here this morning, but somebody in your life may be in prison. Are you struggling medically? Are you struggling financially? Well, look, uh, I want to say, don't leave the church today in need. Uh, There are deacons at blessings. This congregation gives so generously to the ministry of the deacons. Uh, They are there to love you and to help you. They have a ministry of mercy. They're interested in your financial, economic well-being. If your fridge is empty, if you're struggling financially, if you're oppressed in some kind of way, uh, there is help here in this community of Christians in the city of Hamilton that you can feel with your hands if you're in a season of real hardship, please reach out. We'd love to help you. We don't want anyone to leave Sunday worship or the week in dire need or hungry. (laughs) Have you you come face-to-face this morning with your own spiritual poverty? Uh, Do you realize that you are spiritually bankrupt? (laughs) Do you realize that as good as we are with all of our, you know, career pursuits and wonderful attributes and how kind we are, of course, all the time and are never awful people, do you realize no matter how educated we are, how, how much money we have or don't have, do you realize your own spiritual bankruptcy Do you realize that we can be fairly rich in this world, but but empty and broken and sinful before the face of a holy God? Do you find your heart trusting most 
in the righteousness of Jesus as opposed to our own internal wealth. What about this? Are you skeptical of Jesus this morning? Are you looking for more? Not sure? Maybe uh, you're just checking out church this morning. That's great. Maybe, I don't know, maybe you professed your faith a little bit and you're going through a season of, of doubting. Maybe you've been in church a long time, but you're still thinking, man, this Jesus thing is really mostly only a once a week thing for me. Maybe we're skeptical. That's a hard message for us because we see what happens with skepticism, how it quickly changes over to rejection. Well, the Bible tells us that today, today is the day of salvation. Will you take an invitation with me to do a spiritual inventory of your life and turn to the Savior, instead of rejecting Jesus, turn to the one who was rejected for us. Are you longing for the jubilee of Christ? Are you longing for the ministry of grace? Are you longing for the redeeming love of Jesus that has power to, to take the twisted nature of our lives that can get so full of self-loathing or loathing of others and can get so entrenched like it'll never change? Are you in need this morning? Are you longing this morning for the transformation that the power of Christ can bring and the risen Jesus standing among us? He is the bearer of God's favor. He is the bearer of God's good promises. He himself bears the power of God, the power of the one who has made the heavens and the earth and all things, and he stands risen in his church available, run to Him, turn away from sin, and flee to Jesus. And what about this, finally? Are you lost? <laughs> Is someone you know lost? Are you lost in Antarctica? <laughs> Are you lost in the cold and the wind and the snow and the ice is the ship of your life maybe surrounded and getting crushed in there and you're thinking, Lord, help. Well, there's wonderful news. There is help. <laughs> there's a Savior. His name is Jesus. We pray that His life is embodied here in the body of Christ in living and active ways. His grace is available as we come to this table. Are you lost in sin? Are you lost in a relationship in your life is someone you love. Well, this series, this passage, the Scriptures are an invitation for us to come, to come to Jesus. He's the Savior. He has power to save us. He's the Savior of you and of me and of lost people everywhere. Can we pray? Gracious Father, thank you that you love us. We so often reject your love. So often think we're fine on our own. Oh, but Lord, we do long to know the hope and power of Jesus today in each one of our needs, in each one of our troubles. Thank you that nothing is impossible with Jesus. 
Work in our hearts, Lord, new hope, new faith, new joy, new trust today. For we ask in his name, amen.